Amen. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to start this evening, Romans chapter 12. And in just a moment, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Just to review a little bit where we've been so far, we spoke on Sunday morning about the need for regeneration, about the fact that relationship with God begins with being born again. And until someone is born again, it's quite impossible to have a true walk with God. Then we talked on Sunday night about how God is a God who reveals himself. He uh, is in the business of telling us who he is, what his nature is. He's sharing with us the passion that is on his heart. He's a God who, who has a desire to have a relationship with us. And, and more than just a, uh, a, I call it like a placeholder relationship uh, of just a head nod, oh, I know God and, uh, and I have a relationship with him. But he wants to have an intimate, close, personal walk with each and every one of us. And of course, because he is the omnipotent, omnipresent, uh, all-knowing God, he is able to minister to each one of us uniquely and in that way uh, be fully focused on having a relationship with each and every one of us at the same time. Now, then we talked last night about how when God reveals himself to us, there is a need for us to respond with repentance. And as we see God's character and as we see his expectations in his word and realize that we do not live up to those expectations, that we are not in the image of Christ yet, that should bring us to a point of repentance where we want to be changed and we're cooperating with God in that change process. Now, the continuation of the thought from last night is what we'll deal with this evening, and that is if we're going to walk with God, we must respond to God in obedience. I told you on Sunday night that God reveals himself to us with the expectation that we will respond with obedience and worship. And obedience is worship lived out. Worship, of course, we think of things that we say or an attitude that we have towards God. Obedience is when we put that attitude of worship into our life and we regard the lordship of Christ and we live as if he is the master. Now, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is very familiar. One of the dangers of familiar verses is that because we know them so well, we tend not to think deeply about them. So just for a moment, I want you to pretend like you're reading Romans 12, 1 and 2 for the very first time, as if you've never heard it before, and just think about what is being expressed to us here in the need for us to surrender ourselves and obey the Lord in all things. The scripture says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now think for just a moment about what is being expressed here in these verses. God's expectation of us as his children, of those who have a relationship with him, is that we would 
quite literally take our bodies and we would lay them on the altar as a living sacrifice. We would give our bodies to the Lord and say, whatever you want to do with me, however you want me to live, whatever it is that you want me to pursue after, my life is no longer my own. I have been bought with a price and therefore I need to glorify God with my body and with my spirit, which are God's. So he says to us, we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That living sacrifice, the way that we present our bodies is that our bodies are to be holy and acceptable unto God. We are to live according to God's expectations, in other words, and this is our reasonable service. Now, verse 2 tells us how we're going to accomplish this as he reminds us that we must be careful not to be conformed to this world. Don't allow the world to press you into its mold and dictate to you what your life should be like. We know that the world is trying to influence us, is trying to uh, direct us in a certain way of living, and it becomes more and more obvious every day that that way is the opposite of God's way. As God's people, we must fight against the pressure that is being exerted on us to be conformed to this world, and instead, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I'll tell you tonight that a key to that that transforming of our mind is going to be the ministry of the Word of God in our life. We have to implant, and of course God has a part in this, but we also have a part in this through meditation, through reading, through memorization. We need to implant God's Word in our mind and in our consciousness because God's Word needs to be actively used to refuse the lies of Satan and grab hold of the truth of God. And this is really the essence of the Christian life. The struggle that we have in sanctification is a struggle against the lies of the adversary and replacing those lies with the truth of God. So we see that we need our minds to be transformed, and when our minds are transformed, we'll be able to prove, to test, or to demonstrate the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, the will of God is God's desire for us. It's what God wants for our life, how He wants us to live, the way that He wants us to walk, the the path that He wants us to pursue. And when we begin to transform our minds by the powerful Word of God, we'll find that God begins to reveal to us not just about who He is, and not just general principles that, that have to do with how our life should be, but God will begin to reveal to us exactly what He wants us to do, how He wants us to live, what He wants us to be involved in. He will begin to order our steps. You see, the Scripture says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delighteth in His way. So it's a reminder tonight that as we walk with God, our default position, the attitude that every one of us should seek to develop is an attitude of obedience to God. Whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to be willing to do that. Now, let's think a little bit tonight about a perspective concerning our obedience. 
And I just have some thoughts here that I want to share with you, some principles that pertain to our walk, and hopefully these will be a help to you tonight. I mentioned this last night, so we won't spend a great deal of time on this thought, but go to John chapter 5 with me, if you would. And as you're turning to John chapter 5, I want you to think about this truth that God is always at work. God has been at work in this world since he created this world. He's the one who made this place. He's the one who made everything that is in it. And he is the one who has been at work since day one carrying out his plan in this world. He is busy accomplishing his plan for the ages. I think you and I should know that God's plan for the ages has to do with gathering a redeemed people who will become worshipers of his worthy name and getting glory for himself. And then there's a lot of things that go underneath that. For instance, we know that the the coming of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, is a significant part of God's plan for the ages. The spreading of the gospel, the news that that Lamb of God has come, This is a significant part of God's plan for the ages. But what we need to understand is that God has been working, He is working, and He will be working, and He is a working God. John chapter 5, look at verse 17, the words of Jesus, and it's a very interesting statement. Jesus was speaking to some folks who were upset with him because he had healed someone on the Sabbath day. And in verse 17, Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. And the idea that Jesus is promoting here is that God the Father is at work, and he, God the Son, is joined together in the work that God the Father is doing. They're working together. Now, what we find in the Gospels is that Jesus is going to teach his disciples that in the same way that he has been working together with the Father, it is the Father's will for those men to continue on that work after Jesus goes back to heaven. And so he's going to be teaching them about how to listen for the voice of the Father and how to pursue with obedience after the work of the Father. So God is always at work. But then think about this with me, the second truth. God is carrying out this plan for the ages right now, right at this very moment. And God is just as real and just as active today as he was during the life of Abraham, Moses, and the apostles. Now, just for a moment, I want you to grab a hold of that thought. Because when we read our Bibles, we tend to think, wow, those guys in the Bible, they saw some stuff. They saw some great works of God. What must it have been like to be Abraham, to be Moses, to be the apostles? Well, what I want you to understand is God has not changed. He is the same God today as he always has been. He is still at work today, and he is just as real and just as active today as he always has been, which means that he is wanting 
to involve us in his work, just like he involved Abraham, Moses, David, you go right down the line, the prophets, the apostles. He wants us today, the people of God, to be involved in what he is up to. John chapter 14, turn over there real quick with me. Let's just support this with some scripture. For the sake of time, I won't support everything that I say tonight with Scripture. But some of these things I feel that we need to look at. John 14, verse 12 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, this is Jesus speaking, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. So Jesus is making the statement that there are even greater things that God's people will accomplish, which seems hard for us to understand, doesn't it? To think, well, look at what Jesus did. And and one of the reasons is because we tend to rate the works of God in this way. We give great weight to miraculous signs, like healing someone from leprosy or restoring the eyes of someone who has been blind. So we give a lot of weight to something like that. And we give very little weight to the spiritual miracles which take place, like someone's spiritual eyes being opened, like someone's eternal destiny being changed, like someone being brought into relationship with God who before was estranged from God. We tend to think of that as, well, you know, that's just kind of average and normal, but these kind of things, I mean, if we could see these kind of miracles, and we've got it flip-flopped. You see, it's actually those works over here that are the greater works. Listen, if somebody, if somebody who's a leper has leprosy taken away from them but doesn't enter into relationship with God, what have they gained? some physical comfort for a few years of their life until they go out into eternity. But if someone's spiritual eyes are opened and and they come into relationship with God, their eternal destiny has been changed. And not just their eternal destiny, but you will find that when one person's eternal destiny is changed, God begins to work through them to change the eternal destiny of other people who are connected to them. Great miracles take place. And that brings us to the third thought, which is this. God is inviting us to experience Him by participating in this work. God wants us to walk in personal experience or personal relationship with God. Now, I do realize that some people get really caught up in this experiential aspect. And by that, I mean they get caught up in the emotional side of this. And they're looking for some kind of a feeling or some kind of, a, of an experience that they can write about. But we also need to be careful. I mean, that's a ditch over on this side. We also need to be careful about being so clinical and theoretical in describing a relationship with God that we explain it away as if it's not experiential at all. God is a person. He is a personal God. He wants to have a real, vibrant, living relationship with each one of us, 
We can't just make this about theory. We can't just make it something cold. You see, you could know the scriptures and not know the God of the scriptures. But you can also come to the scriptures and God can speak to you personally, practically, intimately from the scriptures because they are his word. It is the living word of God. So notice that God is inviting us to experience him by participating in this work that he's involved in even now. Now, what you'll notice, and you can just, you're probably pretty close already, but turn to John 15. We're going to look at verse 5 in just a moment. God never expects us to do anything in our own strength or ability. Rather, He expects us to do everything in dependence upon His strength and ability. Look at John chapter 15, verse 5. The scripture says this, I am the vine... Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Now, I want to focus for just a moment on that last phrase. For without me, ye can do nothing. And understand that as God is inviting us to experience him by participating in his work, he understands that his work is beyond our ability. But when he asks us to be involved in that, when he brings us to that point, we are going to experience his power. And it is in those moments as we obey God and we follow after his will, realizing fully, I cannot do this in my own strength. I do not have the ability to accomplish this in my own power, my own wisdom. What we find out is that God is working together with us, or rather, we are working together with God, and we are experiencing His power. This is a very humbling thing when you realize that God has used you as a vessel to do His work, to promote His kingdom, to to bring others to relationship with Him. And that just back up there a little bit in verse 5, and notice that when we are abiding in Christ, God's plan is for us to bring forth much fruit. So the idea is that what God is doing in this world has everything to do with people coming into relationship with God. That That is the primary aspect of what God is doing in this world. And what he is involving us in is he wants to use us to introduce other people to what it is to have a real relationship with God. And So therefore, he wants us to bear much fruit. He wants us to have an effective ministry as we invite others to have the same kind of relationship with God that we have. Now, you can see right away that if our relationship with God is not what it ought to be, it's very difficult to invite other people to have that kind of a relationship. It's very difficult to say to someone hey, listen, God is real and I have a a living, vibrant relationship with him if, in fact, you don't have a living, vibrant relationship with him. But if you are walking with God and he's real to you and you talk to him and he speaks to you through his word, you have something to share with people. You, You have something to give to them to say, hey, listen, this is how this happened in my life and you can point them to Christ. So God is inviting us to experience him as we participate in his work. 
then think about this. This experience of walking in obedience with God is primarily accomplished by living like Christ in our ordinary life. Okay, now I want you to slow down for just a second. I'm going to slow down for just a second because this is a very important point. Many people are thinking, when they're thinking, I want to do God's will, they're thinking, what is the big thing that God is going to have me do? I mean, maybe God is going to move me to some place and I'm going to go there as a pioneering missionary where no one else has gone and lots of people are going to get saved and multitudes of churches are going to get established and I'm going to be like the modern day Apostle Paul and everybody's going to say, wow, that guy did great things for God. And that's a wonderful thing if God has that for your life. But that also then starts to sound like anybody who doesn't go and do that is a less than great servant of the Lord. Actually, God's way of obedience has a lot to do with things that we regard as quite ordinary, quite mundane, actually. And the Bible talks a lot about these things. For instance, the Bible tells us about how husbands ought to treat their wives. And husbands, you ought to obey God in those areas. You ought to obey God in regards to what the scripture says about your wife. And if you're obeying God in that area of how you're treating your wife, you are doing the will of God. And God is using that for his glory and to impact other people's lives. Let me give you an example that may help you to understand this a little bit. Someone could think, and years ago this actually was was something that people thought. Missionaries would go to the field and the mission boards that sent them would tell them, now your children are going to be a hindrance to the ministry. Your children are going to get in the way. You're here to reach people. You're here to preach the gospel. You're here to learn the language and do all of this important stuff. And so what we want you to do with your children is, as soon as they are school age, you need to send them to a boarding school in another country. You can see them once or twice a year. But other than that, you let those schools and those teachers raise your kids and you do the work of missions because that's the really important work that God has called you to. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that while those missionaries were quite sincere in what they did and the living conditions, by the way, where they were at were quite primitive. It was difficult to live in those places with a family. But I'm going to suggest to you that if God has given you children, it's God's will for you to raise your children and for you to invest in their lives. That is not a waste of time. That, that's not some kind of a frustration to the plan of God. Like, oh, I have to raise my kids so I don't have time to do as many ministry things. That is ministry. Amen. That is. See, that's, that's a responsibility that God has given to you. When we walk in obedience with God, it's not going to be a frustration to the normal responsibilities that God has given to us. God has asked us to live in a certain way in our ordinary life and living in that way in our ordinary life is actually walking in obedience to him. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Sometimes we, we exalt and, and, and I hope you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to express. 
we exalt people who are called into full-time ministry and we say they're really the servants of the Lord. But I'm telling you this evening that if God has called you to work a secular job and be a faithful member of a New Testament church and you follow God's will and you do what God has told you to do, you are no less a servant of God than someone who surrenders and moves to a foreign country and serves there as a missionary. Now, if you're staying here in rebellion against God and God wants you to do something different, that's another story altogether. But as long as you are doing the will of God, then you are in obedience to God and you are completing his plan. There's a really interesting verse in the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah says to Baruch, who was the scribe who uh, wrote the words of Jeremiah. You may remember that story, you know, and how those words on the scroll got thrown into the fire and then they were rewritten. But right there uh, towards the end of the book, Jeremiah talked to Baruch and he said something very, very piercing. He said to Baruch, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. You see, this idea of pursuing God's will has nothing to do with us doing some kind of a great thing. Has nothing to do with us getting some kind of a great reputation or getting some kind of, oh, wow, look what they accomplished. Has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Him. Everything to do with His glory. And if God has called you to be a mom or to be a dad and raise your children, if God has called you to work a job and minister to your co-workers, then don't chafe at the assignment that God has given you and hope for something that would be more thrilling and more exciting. Just be content with what God has given to you and walk in obedience to Him. So this experience of walking in obedience with God, the reason I say this is because many times in our minds, we detach the will of God from ordinary life. We're, when we're talking about the will of God, so often we're talking about the big things. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? What's my occupation going to be? Am I going to be a missionary or a pastor or something else? I mean, what does God want me to do? And certainly those things pertain to the will of God. But God has a will for what you're going to do tomorrow at work. He has a will for who you're going to talk to. He has a will for how you're going to interact with your family. He has a will for, for who you're going to share the gospel with. And sometimes we're thinking about the big will of God. And God is really trying to guide us in what we regard to be the small things, the everyday things, the ordinary things. And what you'll find is that when you're obedient in those what we call small things, those are not insignificant because those small steps add up to big things that God is doing in and through you. I hope that makes sense to you. So we want to make sure that as we're walking with God, we're actually bringing God into our ordinary life. Too many Christians feel that God is incompatible with their ordinary life. They view God as acceptable for Sunday morning services and, and Sunday evening, Wednesday night prayer meeting, and while I'm working down in the children's ministries. But boy, what could God possibly have to do with, the, the, with my roofing job or, or with, my, with my cleaning or with the way that I'm relating to my children or these sorts of things? And he has everything to do with that. Amen. In this process of us walking with God in our ordinary life, 
God will get the glory and we will be rewarded. I, I want to point out to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I hope you're still with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Very important passage. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." Now, you can meditate on these verses a little bit later, but understand that the primary thing God is saying here is that God delights in using unexpected people to do unexpected things for the very purpose that He will get the glory. And you may think of yourself as, well, I'm not that important. I'm, I'm not that significant. You know, my, my life isn't... It, what could I ever accomplish for God? You might be surprised what you could accomplish for God. Some of you ladies may feel as if, well, you know, I'm not a man, I can't preach, I, 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 I'm at home with my kids, and, I, you know, I'm doing these things, they seem so mundane. What, what value is that? Well, it's a tremendous value. God has given you a tremendous responsibility and privilege to minister to your children. And who knows what impact your testimony will have on your children and for the good of the kingdom of God. So don't minimize the place where God has asked you to serve, but understand that whatever is accomplished, none of it is because we are great. It's all because He is great, and He has invited us to be a part of what He is doing so that He will get the glory. Now, there are some problems that we run into with our obedience. And I'll just mention these real quickly before we talk about the practice of obedience in our daily life. Three primary problems. I don't have these up on the slide, so you can jot them down if you want to. First of all, we have this problem that we tend towards self-will and a lack of surrender. So most of us have a very strong idea about what we would like to do with our life. And and even back it up and, and bring it into a smaller focus. Most of us have a very strong idea about what we would like to do with our day. We get up in the morning, this is my agenda, this is my plan, this is where I'm headed, this is what I'm doing, and we hate disruptions, we hate anything getting in our way, and because of that, we don't Okay, I'm I'm not going to blame any of you for this. I don't normally live in surrender mode. I don't remember often enough to say, okay, Lord, my life is not mine, it's yours. Now, I mean, obviously, I'm not 
in active rebellion against God, saying, I'm not going to do anything that you say. It's more a matter of just getting so focused on the things that I think I've got to get done that I'm not as careful to think about the fact that the Lord probably has something that He wants me to do today, and I need to be tuned into that. I need to be paying attention to what God is up to. So we tend towards self-will and a lack of surrender, which I think is why Jesus told His disciples that we must take up our cross daily and follow Him. Every single day, we need to come to a place of surrender. Second problem that we have with our obedience is we tend to have suspicion about God's plan. We tend to think, if I let God call the shots, He's probably going to ruin my life. He's probably going to mess everything up. Whatever it is that you're terrified of, whether it is living in some other country, or perhaps it is living in a place where there's a lot of spiders or snakes, or maybe it is that you think if you surrender to God's will concerning who you'll marry, he's going to have you marry the most awful person on the face of the earth, so you cannot possibly let him be in control. Isn't it interesting that we are so suspicious of God's plan that we feel like, I really don't want to give this over to the Lord. I need to keep my fingers on this because I want to make sure that things go the way that I want them to go. We tend to be suspicious about God's plan. By the way, that's because we have believed a lie about God. That's because we've allowed an imagination. Remember we talked about imaginations? We've allowed an imagination about God to overtake our thinking And we've convinced ourselves that if we give God free reign in our life, He's definitely going to ruin our life. So we have to stay in control of that, and we need to dictate. And this is a problem with our surrender. Then third of all, we can find ourselves just being really distracted by the cares of this life. And instead of walking in obedience, we just get busy... And we're busy here, and we're busy there, and we're going about doing the things, I know, the ordinary life, but we're not living ordinary life according to the power of the Spirit. We're not walking in such a way that we're sensitive to God's leading in our ordinary life. We're just going, doing our things, and we get so distracted, and before we know it, we've spent months and years of our life without really even considering God's will. Or am I obeying God? Am I doing what God wants me to do? And that is a startling realization when you wake up and realize, wow, I haven't really thought much about living God's way for a long time, and I'm supposed to be a Christian. So this is a real problem. Now let's talk for just a moment about the practice of obedience. A couple of really practical things that we can do. First of all, Tune your ear, your spiritual ear, to God's voice and embark on a word-based walk. Let the word, the Bible says that his word is a light unto our feet. It's It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So let God's word be a light. Let it guide you. Let it be real in your life. Let it be such that as you come to the Word of God, you're expecting God to speak to you. You're expecting God to shape your life into the image of Christ. You're expecting to find in the Scriptures God's expectations 
and therefore you're going to order your life according to those expectations. Now, don't get weird on me. You say, what are you talking about? Don't get weird on me. You know, open your Bible. You're looking for God's will. And you read about Egypt. Okay, God's calling me to Egypt to be a missionary. That's weird. You're, you're taking God's word and you're misapplying it. That's not how it's supposed to be. This morning, I read in the book of Ezekiel about the valley of dry bones. I mean, if I approached the word of God this way, I would have said, Allison, we got to go to the cemetery today. I'm going out to the cemetery to preach. And she says, whatever for? Is there a, is there a funeral today? No, I'm going out to preach to the dead bodies. Why are you doing that? Because God told me. Okay, don't be silly. Don't be silly about this stuff. You approach the Bible and you understand that God is speaking in a historical, grammatical, contextual way. You come to the place of understanding what the passage is talking about and you make proper application to your life. This is what we try to do when we preach from the Bible over the pulpit, when we teach in our Sunday school classes. So while the Bible talks about things that happened long ago, there are principles and there are applications to our life today, and we need to tune our ear to God's voice in those things, and we need to develop a a walk that is based in the Word. Again, let me emphasize that God usually works through ordinary means as we are faithful to him in our God-given role and responsibility. God has given you roles and responsibilities, and within those roles and responsibilities, he has given you guidelines from the scripture, and this is the ordinary way of God ministering, of God working, of God inviting you to be a part of what he is doing. Every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Hey, listen, there's lots and lots of people who want to do something spectacular for God, but they don't want to fulfill their ordinary responsibilities that God has given to them. Faithfulness in little things is important to God. So understand that God is going to deal with us on the basis of those things that we regard as ordinary. Hopefully I have dwelt enough on that to emphasize to you exactly what I'm trying, the point that I'm trying to make. So tune your ear and embark on a word-based walk. We'll try to give you some examples of this on Thursday evening of what this might look like and how you could structure your time in the Word of God in such a way that the word is shaping your walk. But for now, let's just take that principle. Second of all, the practice of obedience, ask God to show you his ways and his will. I know it seems like a simple thing, but just asking God, God, what are you up to? Where are you at work? I know you're at work, In this world, I know that you're doing things and I know that you want me to be involved in what you're doing. God, would you show me where you're at work? Would you open my eyes 
to what you're doing in the lives of people around you? Would you help me to be aware of how you're working so that I can get connected to what you're doing and how you're inviting me to be a part of your work in this world? It's amazing how when you ask God that question and you open your eyes, you will begin to see God working all around you. You'll begin to realize, wow, these co-workers that I thought were so antagonistic to the gospel, wow, it's amazing. God is doing some things in their life. I heard them talking in the break room, and that's incredible. I can't believe that he's thinking about spiritual things or that he's giving contemplation to eternity. This is amazing, and God let me in on that, and now I can have a chance to, to, to minister. You see what I'm saying? So ask God to show his ways and his will, and, and ask him if you can be involved in what he is doing. Third of all, determine to obey God in all things. Determine to obey God in all things. We're not going to be making excuses for our sin. We're going to say, okay, if God wants me to be faithful in this area, then I'm going to be faithful in this area. Make the most of the assignment that God gives. Some of these are very, very clear. I've already mentioned some in the message tonight. If you are in the the stage of your life where you are raising children, then a significant portion of your time and energy is going to be invested in raising those children. That is not a waste of time. That is God's will for you. So determine, while I'm in this season, I'm going to be investing in these children that God has given to me. That's God's plan for me. That's God's will. Later, there will be other opportunities, but right now, that's what God wants me to be involved in. So determine to obey Him in all things. Fourth of all, anticipate open doors to participate in God's work. Just expect that because God is working and because you've made yourself available and He's in the business of plugging His people into His work, just anticipate, go into your day expecting God is going to be opening doors. He's going to be working. He's going to be giving me opportunities to minister. Now, some of these opportunities to minister are not going to look much like opportunities to minister at first. You're going to have to be paying attention, but you're expecting, okay, God is going to do something. God is going to be working. God is going to give me a chance to participate in His work. And what you will find is that living life in this way is a delight. And it brings deep and lasting joy. Why? Because you are living your life with eternity's values in view. You are not living for this world. You are making investments in eternity. Now, obviously, we're living in this world. And there's things that we have to do in this world that are a part of our ordinary life. But it's amazing how God will take those things and he will connect us with his plan that impacts eternity, and he will invite us to be a part of that. And when you begin to realize that God is doing that with you, it brings such joy and such delight to know that you are walking with God and that God is actively working in your life. This brings tremendous joy. Now, let me give you some things to reflect on as we go. Tonight... Tomorrow morning, think about these questions. To what extent is my life lived in anticipation 
that God is at work. Do you get up in the morning with the holy anticipation, God is going to be working today, and He's going to be wanting me to be involved in His work, and I cannot wait to see what He's going to do. To what extent is that true in your life? Two, do I regularly ask God to invite me to His work? Do I ask God often, Lord, would you please open doors? Would you show me where you're working? Would you, would you lead me into a, a path where I could be a part of what you're doing? Third of all, how can I think more frequently about what God is doing, developing sensitivity to Him? I don't know. Can you do something practical? Can you set a little alarm on your phone or on your smartwatch that goes off every hour that just reminds you, hey, are you thinking about what God is doing? Are you, are you watching for His hand? Are you, are you involving yourself? And maybe just at that moment, all right, I'm just thinking out loud. All right, I'm making this up as I go along. You set that alarm, and when that alarm goes off, and, and maybe make it a silent alarm, all right, so it doesn't bother everybody else, but maybe just in that moment, just breathe a prayer to God and say, God, I'm still waiting. I still want to see where you're at work. I want to, I want to be fulfilling my responsibility. I want to make sure I'm walking in obedience to you to you, would you help me to do your will today? Last question, number four, is my default position one of submission or one of rebellion? Am I in submission to God? Am I willing to do whatever He wants me to do? Am I, am I open to His commands? Am I open to His direction in my life? Am I submitted to Him? Or am I really struggling, Romans 12, 1 and 2, am I really struggling with giving my body as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable unto God. Think about these things. Come back tomorrow night, and we're going to talk about the third response to God, which He wants from us, and that is the response of prayer. So God speaks to us through His Word. Prayer is the opportunity that we have to speak back to God. And He wants us, He wants our our prayer life and our word life to be a holy conversation that's going on between us and God. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow night and how practically we can respond with prayer on a daily basis and carry out the command that says, pray without ceasing.